All right, what's up, y'all? How we doing? We doing good? Everybody doing all right? Man, um, welcome to church. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, I just want to say that it is not an accident that you are here this morning. I don't know how you got here. If you came willingly, if someone dragged you kicking and screaming in here, um, I'm glad you're here because, and, and now that you're here, Let's just expect a word from God, right? So uh, I believe that, that God was, was saying some specific things to me this week as I was preparing, and uh, I think he's got a specific word for you as well. Uh, it's not an accident that you're here. But it's officially Christmas season, and, uh, and I think the decorations look amazing. Thanks again for everybody who came out and helped with that. Uh, it's, a, it's a good look for what we got going on here at church. Um, you know, at Christmas time at my house, it was always a big deal to, to decorate the tree. We would always set aside a night, uh, an evening to do it together. Uh, and, and we would get out the tree. We would either go get a, a live one or occasionally we would use a, a fake, I guess is the only word, uh, a fake tree um, that we would put it together and then we would hang all the ornaments on it. And we would do it um, mostly growing up. It was all like homemade ornaments. There was a few ornaments that mom and dad would give us kind of a thing. Um, but they were, you know, they were all the homemade ornaments that we would make, you know, the angel with the sideways face, like when you're five years old, because art is not in, running in our family. Um, but um, so, so we would decorate it, and it would be really good. It was that warm feeling of like, you know what, this is our Christmas. We're doing this thing as a family, um, and we're decorating our tree with, with those home, homemade ornaments. And then um, at some point when we got older, mom decided uh, she was going to do the pretty tree thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? The pretty tree? Like, I think when I look at Christmas trees, there's two different kind of trees. There's like the home, you know, we're going to do this thing and make this thing our own and with homemade ornaments and, and gifted ornaments. And then there's the pretty tree. And my mom decided to do the pretty tree thing where it's, it's more like color coordinated and it looks really nice and pretty. It's a little, I don't know, it feels a little more commercial, whatever. Um, but... And they're very nice. Oh, I remember mom would do, uh, one year she did one theme, it was like silver and red, uh, and it looked really, really nice. One year she just did all white with white lights uh, on a green tree. It was beautiful. Um, but it was different because it was clean, and it was tidy, and it looked nice. Um, and, and, and that in compared to like the, the homemade ornament kind of thing, you got these two things, which is a little bit more dirty, nitty-gritty kind of stuff. Well, that's what we're doing this year for our, our Christmas uh, series, okay? So our Christmas series is not the nice, neat, tidy, polite, pretty Christmas tree. We're talking about the scandal in Bethlehem, all right? So we're talking like the dirty, the underbelly, like what this whole thing that's happening is like the, it's a scandalous event in so many different ways. Um, and, and I think what will help us to understand that is these are people who are real people, and these are people who have real lives, um, who have other stuff going on, and we have to think about, okay, what is this circumstance in this whole Christmas story? What does it mean for them and for their life and for what, how people look at them and, and all that stuff? So we're going to get into all of that, and I'm really excited about that. We're going to dig into the nativity story um, and the nativity scene, right? We all have the nativity scene, and, and in my mind, we have this, it's the, it's the one up on the shelf. It's the willow tree scene or the, the precious moments. That's what my mom used growing up was the little precious moments figurines um, that was, again, nice and neat and pretty. And, and, you know, you had the Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and you had the three shepherds, or excuse me, four shepherds and the three wise men, and there was a camel and a donkey and all that stuff, right? All there, an angel with a star above it and all that whole thing. Listen, it's not that neat and tidy. And honestly, it didn't happen that way, I don't believe. Um, and we're going to talk about all that stuff. And so we're going to dig into the nativity this morning. 
For the next four weeks, we're going to do this thing called uh, the scandal in Bethlehem. And what would it have been like if this story happened today? Like, this would have been tabloid material, right? right? Um, the, the son of God coming into this world by an unmarried woman and some dirty, nasty shepherds showing up and some people from the east, you know, these visitors, all this stuff, right? So we're going to get into that scandal. Um, so this morning, we're going to look at the book of Luke. We're going to start out with the most common Christmas story. If you read a Christmas story before you open your presents, um, part of our family does that. And it's always this one. It's always the one in Luke um, because it's kind of the nicest one to round it up and and tell the whole story, even though it leaves out some parts um, so that some different people tell. But it's the story that starts out in those days, right? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken from the entire Roman world, right? That's the Christmas story that we're going to go to. And, And the gist of that story is that Caesar, the emperor, Wanted to figure out how big his kingdom was. That's what was in his mind. How big is my kingdom? How many people are in it? And how how is it growing and spreading out so I can feel good about myself kind of a thing? Caesar is doing that. And so part of that thing was to to count all the people. And so to count the people, you had to go back to your hometown or at least the town of your your lineage or whatever so that we weren't counting people twice and all that kind of a thing. Um, And so Joseph is from... The, the, the city of, or from the line of David, from the house of David. So Joseph goes back to the city of David, that's Bethlehem, to be counted. And he takes along with him his pregnant fiance, and, uh, and they go back to be counted. And while they're in Bethlehem, this baby is born. Jesus is born. While they're in Bethlehem. So we're going to pick up in verse 8. Luke, two chap- uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, Keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So, if we're going to pick apart this story, if we're going to take apart the nativity scene, then we're going to have to ask some questions. We're going to have to get outside our box of what we normally think, of what we've been told, what we assume this thing looked like, because we all grow up with some kind of a story, right? And and so let's let's do this. Let's ask some questions. Whenever I'm studying for a sermon, I just about brought my preparation notes up here. Whenever I'm studying for a sermon, I take the scripture that that I feel like God has led me to, I put it into a document. Uh, and I print it out, I, I make the margins really big, so I got big wides on the spot, and then I just read it through, 
And then I go back through and I read it again. And as I read it that second time, I'm asking questions like, who is this? Why are they here? What does it look like when they're doing this? What does it mean for this person if they're doing this? And I just write, I scribble and I circle and I highlight and I write all these questions down. And so we're going to talk about some of those things that, uh, some of those questions that I asked, right? Some of those things that, that God said, you know what, this means something. What, is, what does this mean? And, and you know what, I don't get, uh, probably I don't get answers to 75% of the questions I ask when I'm studying the scripture. But it always leads me somewhere to dive deep into the scripture and to ask those questions because these are real people. This is not a one-dimensional thing. This is, this is life. People are doing life. And so there's other things that we need to think about as we do this. So let's look at the shepherds. The first thing that I see when I look at this in verse 8, it says that the shepherds were living out in the fields nearby. Living in the fields nearby. That sounds an awful lot like camping, doesn't it? Although I don't think it was that fun. This was life. They were living in the fields nearby. Not glamping, not with electric and plumbing nearby, right? They were living out in the fields outside of town, outside of Bethlehem, and they were living with the sheep. Do you, have you ever been around sheep? Have you spent any time around sheep? Sheep do not smell good. Have you ever been around sheep? They do not smell good. They have lots of wool that collects water, it sheds water, but it also holds some water. And, and, and that kind of gets kind of a little bit rank and smelly. When I was at um, Bethel Camp, we were assistant directors there. The camp director had uh, sheep. They did a good job of keeping weeds down in some areas and things like that. Um, but occasionally they would get out of the, their fence and they would get into the ball field where we did our, our big field games and stuff like that. And if you know anything about grazing animals, they eat and they poop. That's pretty much what they do, okay? So as they're eating, they're pooping, and it's everywhere. And it does not smell good. And my dog would find a way to go down to the pasture and to roll in it, and he did not smell good, right? So sheep, living out with the sheep. These guys are living out with the sheep. They're dirty. They're smelly. Right? I imagine that, you know, living out in a field, there's not a lot of place to have a nice warm bath to clean up. And they're not going out of their house to visit these sheep. They're living with the sheep. That's what it means to live with sheep. And they're probably, uh, I see them as a little bit rough around the edges. I don't know this for sure, but I see them as a little bit rough around the edges. These are blue-collar guys, right? They're not educated. They're, they're doing their thing. They're blue-collar guys. And what happens when you get a bunch of blue-collar guys together off at a job site? There's no women around. What happens? Yes, thing, things get a little off-color, right? Um, and, and so they're a little bit rough around the edges sometimes. And so that's the way I see these guys. Um, and, and again, that's just kind of my thinking, processing through this. Um, but these are the guys that, that get the message from the angel. And they were watching their flocks at night. What does it mean to be in, at night out in a field 2,000 years ago? They don't have flashlights. They don't have phones. They have no source of light other than a fire if they've got that. It is dark, right? There's not even light pollution from Bethlehem, the city of Bethlehem coming out and kind of glow. Now, if it's, if, if it's in a field, you know, there, there could be some moonlight. There could be some stars. But if it's overcast at all, it's dark. It is dark out in this field where they are living And then it says, in that darkness, or out of that darkness, an angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. What does that look like? We know a couple other times in Scripture when it says the glory, when it talks about the glory of the Lord, Moses was was talking with God, and, and he made an incredible request. He said, God, just let me see your glory. 
Man, that is an incredible, that is a bold, like, God, I just want to see your glory. But I, I would pray that we would all have that, that request. God, we just want to see your glory in this place. But he said, let me see your glory. And God said, okay, I'll give you that. But you're going to have to be here in this rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand as I pass by. And then I'm going to, uh, you, nobody can see my face and live, so I'm going to pass by, and then you get to see the back of me. And so Moses saw the back of him. And then we know that Moses, and the glory of the Lord in that way. And, and when Moses um, went up on the mountain to talk with God, he would come down. And it said when he came down from the mountain, people were terrified of him because his face shone. His face was radiant. He had to cover it with, with a garment. He had to put it over his face so that, so that people wouldn't be terrified, so that they wouldn't, it wasn't so bright on them. Right? So the glory of the Lord is bright. Another time when we talk about the glory of the Lord is when Jesus is up on the mountain and he is transfigured. Um, he takes a couple disciples with him. And it says that his face shone like the sun and that his, his uh, garments were white as light. It is bright, okay? That's the point. It's bright. The glory of the Lord shone around them. So this stranger comes up to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them in the pitch black darkness. Boom! Or maybe it glowed right maybe it came on like a dimmer like a light switch that's on a dimmer but but it's there and it's bright and they're trying to adjust their eyes to the to the to the new light and this stranger comes up to now it says the angel came the angel appeared where is the angel in your mind growing up the angel's up here right i'm thinking i'm thinking that it doesn't say that it doesn't say the angel hovered doesn't say the angel flew doesn't say the angel was in the sky it says the angel appeared to them we know in other places in Scripture that angels walked up to people. They, they appeared. They walked up to people, and they talked to them like normal people. They interacted. With, and, and, and Hebrews, um, it says that you know, many of you may have entertained angels without even knowing it. But so, so this stranger walks up in the pitch black. All of a sudden, there's this bright light, and it says, he says, I, I've got some news for you. I've got some news for you. He says, in the town of David, over there in Bethlehem, it's not too far away, the Messiah has been born. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's okay, right? Don't be afraid. Why do angels always say that? Because there's something to be afraid of, right? If you look at how and when angels interact with people, there's always that, do not be afraid. Don't fear. Don't don't be afraid, all right? And he says that because they're terrified. Scripture says they were terrified of this whole thing that's happening there. And the angel says, today a Messiah has been born to you. He's in Bethlehem, and you will find his mother and father with him. And he's there, and he's laying in a manger. Do you think that made them stop? Like, wait, what? The Messiah? Did, that, did he just say the Messiah is born, but he's, gonna, he's in a food, a food trough? What's that about? Because that's what a manger was, right? It's where the animals fed out of. There was some hay there. I guess it was a nice, comfy place. It was a convenient thing. But did they register that like the Messiah? Yes, the Messiah. Food trough, right? So he's got this message. The Messiah is born to you. He's in Bethlehem. And then it says a multitude of the heavenly host. So there was one, and now all of a sudden, boom, there's a bunch. I don't know how much a multitude is, but I... It's a bunch, right? 60, 70, 80, 100, I don't know. And they're there and they're saying, glory to God in the highest heaven on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Is that all they said? 
Maybe. I think that's probably a summary statement. I think there was, a, there was enough praising, there was enough glory about this event that it happened, that it kind of went on for a while. But then it dies down, and they disappear. Did, that, did the light shut off? Like they're gone, it's black again. How long did the angel, or how long did the shepherd stand there with that? What did, what just happened? Look, right? How long did it take them to register? They just said there's a Messiah. The Messiah, the promised one, the one that's been prophesied about. And they head off. It says they hurry off. I don't know how long it took them, but they hurry off to find Mary and Joseph and they find them. What is that like? I know lots of questions this morning. What's that like for Mary and Joseph? Um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, ma'am. Um, we, were, uh, we were just out in our field, and uh, there were some angels, bright lights, angels, and um, can we see your baby? <laughs> right? That's weird. That's weird. Dirty, smelly shepherds showing up at your door or the house you're staying at. Knocking on your door, and uh, they want to see your baby? No, you cannot see my baby. I don't know who you people are, right? What was that like for Mary and Joseph? But it says they popped in, they saw the baby, saw that everything was as the angel has said, and then they went out. And they went out and they told everybody that they came and I said that they spread the word. It spread the news about what they had seen, that there was a Messiah that had been born. It was the one that Isaiah prophesied about it 700 years ago. This child, this is the one. We saw it. The angels came to us, and, and there was lights, and, and then we saw it, and, and it's true. It's there, and you, it's amazing. It's amazing. Glory to God, right? It's an incredible thing. And they went, and they shared the news. They spread the word. They told everybody, and it says that everybody was amazed at what they heard. And then the shepherds went back. They went back, back to normal life. I don't think life was the same, but they went back to their sheep. And it says on their way back, they were glorifying God and they were praising him for all the things that they had heard and seen, for the privilege of being a part of this thing that God was doing. And I know that it says they were glorifying God and they were praising God, but I don't think there's any way they could have possibly understood the magnitude of what was happening. You think that? I'm, I'm, I don't know for sure, but I, I, I would say I'm 99.9999, we can keep going, percent sure that they did not understand the magnitude of what God was doing in this moment. Not that that's their fault. It's that we're humans and we just have that, we're in this moment, this experience. But this is God in all of eternity, this is the point where he steps in and he says, this is my plan, right? And it's not complete. 33 years later, Jesus completes that work, but this is the start of it. This is where the baby, God, in human form, came into our, into our lives, into earth, right? Into our existence. There's no way they understood that, the magnitude of what that meant. But I look at these shepherds and I think, man, man, that's a cool thing. That is an incredible thing that these guys got to experience. Why? Why did these guys, why, why these men, why this situation, why even include them? You know, God didn't even have to include, he could have sent an angel to each house and said, hey, listen up. 
I'm being born. <laughs> Jesus is being born over here at this, at this, in, this, and he's in, in, in this manger. He could have sent an angel, but he didn't. He sent an angel, a group of angels, one angel and then a group of angels to these shepherds. And then they experienced this. But why? Why would he have included them? These rough, dirty, smelly, fresh from the field shepherds. Why would God have done that? Why would he have used them to let people know that God had stepped into the world? I think it tells me a couple of things. Number one, it tells me that God's qualifications are different than man's. God's qualifications are different than man's. I mean, these guys, these guys are probably not your best and your brightest, right? They're not your most educated, and I'm not saying they're not, they're not, uh, they're not intelligent. I'm just saying they're not your best and your brightest. And your, they're working class guys, right? Why would God use them? I know people that, that, are, are, that didn't finish eighth grade. They're some of the best business savvy people that I know. But they're not the people that I would go to to say, hey, I've got an important announcement. I need you to make this for me, right? And yet God goes to these guys to start this process. Because when you want to announce something, when, when, when you have an announcement to make, you want it to be well done, don't you? You want the, the messenger to relay the message both verbally, but then also kind of by their presence. You want the significance of the message to match like the appearance of the messenger. Think about the, the president when the president enters a room. It's very formal, right? Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States. And everybody stands up and claps and whatever, right? It's very formal. But for God, he chose these shepherds, this ragtag group of shepherds who are running around Bethlehem talking about heavenly lights and, and heavenly beings. And man, that sounds a lot like aliens to me, doesn't it? Right? Bright lights and heavenly beings. It's kind of like God. It's kind of like when we're driving down the road and you see that guy, that stereotypical guy who's, who's kind of disheveled looking. He's got the sandwich board sign that says, you know, Jesus is coming soon. I've never gone by that guy and gone, seriously? Jesus, like that's, I've never done that. Because I expect the messenger to match the message. But that's what God is doing. God is taking these ragtag, rough, smelly guys and he's spreading the news. Because God's qualifications are different than man's. God uses things differently than we would choose to use them. It's kind of crazy. i got to say, odd, uh, shepherds are just kind of an odd choice to announce this occasion. Why wouldn't God choose the priests? Why wouldn't God choose the religious leadership? Why wouldn't God choose the government? Why wouldn't, um, why, why wouldn't he use people that are qualified to make this announcement, that are uh, in positions where people listen to these, these positions of authority? Why wouldn't God do that? Why wouldn't he use people that are qualified to make the announcement? Because God's qualifications are different than man's. We see it with God all the time. Probably the best example is when King David is being anointed Samuel goes out to the, to the Jesse, um, and he has eight sons. And it says this in, in 1 Samuel uh, 16, 7. It says, when they arrived, that's all of Jesse's sons. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before God. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
God's qualifications are different than man's. He doesn't look at what we look at. He doesn't look at education. He doesn't look at degrees. He doesn't look at beauty or good looks. He doesn't look for people who are great speakers. Moses, that was his excuse. Like, God, I can't even speak. How, how, are you gonna, how am I going to do this? He said, it's all right, I'll provide. God's qualifications are different. God is not looking for the best and the brightest. God is looking for a willing heart and then for somebody who's going to give him the glory. That's God's qualifications. He'll figure out the rest. If you want to be used by God, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the best and brightest. You have to be willing to do what he says and then to give him the glory. That's God's qualifications for you. And maybe God knows something that we don't. Kind of an understatement, isn't it? Maybe God knows something that we don't. By choosing these shepherds by make, to, to make this incredible announcement, it sets the tone for who he is going to use. It lets the rest of the world know that, you know what, if God can use them, maybe he can use me too. From the very beginning, these are some of the first people to witness God in human form. There's Mary and Joseph, there's maybe some family members, and then the shepherds. Like, that's it. The first people. And that is the scandal of these shepherds, that God is using these guys, these everyday, ordinary shepherds, instead of the religious elite, instead of the government, instead of people who have it all together, God is using these guys. God says, that's not, that other stuff, that's not what my kingdom is about. I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I came for you, and I'm going to use people who are not perfect in order to reach out to other people who are not perfect. God's qualifications are different than man's. When the angels first came to see these guys, he said, what did he say? He said, don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid. Why did he have to say that? Because they were afraid. Because they were terrified. They were terrified of this whole situation. They had a lot of stuff to be, uh, to be afraid of, right? That's kind of the typical reaction. That would be my reaction if I understood, like, if I was in a, in a room alone by myself and all of a sudden, boom, there's a lot of light and there's a stranger appearing, right? That's going to be a scary situation. I don't know how they got there. That's their typical reaction. But I think it also goes deeper than don't, don't be terrified of this situation. I think we can take it deeper. The moment that God breaks through in your life is a scary moment, right? And God says, don't be afraid. The moment that God breaks through in your life can be a very scary moment, and God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Those shepherds had a lot of stuff to be afraid of in this moment. There was an angel that was standing in front of them. There was a bright light out of nowhere, not to mention that once they started on the way, they start that, are we crazy? How are we going to even know where to find him? Like Bethlehem, this is a town. There's a lot of people. How are we going to find this baby that's in a manger? Like how are we going to find him? Are we crazy? What are other people going to think once we go see him? They had a lot of stuff to be afraid of. What's mom and dad going to think up when we, or think when we go to see their baby, when we ask to see their baby? Strangers. What's going to happen to the sheep? There's a reason the shepherds were out watching their flocks at night, and that was to protect their sheep. They had to leave their sheep. They had to leave the thing that they were doing in order to go do what God asked them to do. What's going to happen to those sheep? There's a lot of things to be afraid of, but when God breaks through in your life, it can, it can be scary and it can be inconvenient. 
But God says, don't be afraid. I got this. Don't be afraid. I believe that God's got great things ahead of you. Great things ahead of you. You have a role to play in this. Don't miss out on that role because of fear. I know we just got done with a whole series, four to five weeks of I Ain't Scared. But we're here again. Don't be afraid. I've said it a lot before and I'll continue to say it a lot. You'll hear me say it over and over. I grew up uh, a lot of my life um, living out of fear. Being afraid of failure is really what the thing I was afraid of. Looking stupid in front of people when I failed. Tripping and falling flat on my face, right? That's what I was worried about. I was, af- I was afraid of people. I was afraid of the failure and people seeing me fail. And I lived a lot of my life that way. And so I didn't take very many risks. Uh, when I was in 7th and 8th grade, um, I, I wanted to try out for the middle school basketball team. And uh, I had played basketball since I was in 1st grade. Um, I wasn't terrible, okay? Um, I wasn't terrible. I was quick, so that made up for a lot of things. Uh, but, but I wanted to try out for the 7th and 8th grade basketball team. And I never did. Because... I was afraid that I wasn't going to make it. Guess what? I didn't make it because I was afraid to try. I had already failed because I didn't want to risk failing in front of other people. And so I just kind of, I hedged my bet, you know? I just, I just played it safe. I decided not to try. I automatically failed when I chose not to try. And that's how, how, it's how it always works when we operate out of fear. But God has great things ahead of you. Don't be afraid to go when he says go. Don't be afraid to talk when he says talk. Don't be afraid to pray when he says pray. And don't worry, don't worry whether you're, you're qualified or not. Because if God says go, all we have to do is be willing, and he's going to make up for the rest. See that? He's going to provide for the rest. We were talking about this on Wednesday night with our small group which, by the way, if you're not part of a small group, uh, we're going to be uh, uh, reopening uh, sign-ups for this for January, and it's a really great way to get plugged in uh, and to be a part of, of a community closer than just happening on Sunday mornings. We want to be a church that is a family, and family sees each other more than just once a week, usually, uh, and so we want to we encourage you to that. But we were talking about this idea on, on Wednesday night with our small group about the idea that, that a lot of times when we're afraid and we're afraid to fail, it's because we're depending on our own abilities to succeed. We're depending on our, my own, own skill set. You know, am I good enough? Am I qualified enough? Am I strong enough? Uh, am I going to know what to do in order to be successful? Do I have what it takes? Do I measure up? But when God breaks through in your life, you can know that he is doing something, that it's him that is up to something. It doesn't matter whether you're good enough or you're qualified enough or you're strong enough or you're smart enough or do you have enough education. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because if God is asking you to do something, then he's going to provide you with what you need in order to be successful in his goal, right? Because it's something that he is doing that he wants to do in you and through you. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear. For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. God 
is strengthening you. God is providing for you. God is the one that is making things happen in order to make up for your weakness. In our weakness, he's made strong, right? When God breaks through, it's something that he is doing that he wants to do in you. So don't miss out on that opportunity to be a part of what God is doing because you're depending on you. Because listen up, God is not depending on you. God's not depending on you. God is not up in heaven wringing his hands thinking, oh, man, I hope Justin makes it. Oh, I hope he says the right words when he gets up there on stage. God's not depending on me. God's not depending on you. He's not depending on you for success or failure. He's got himself to depend on. God wants to work through you, and he wants to work in you, and he's going to give you what you need in order to do that. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. These shepherds were some of the first people to lay eyes on God in human form. Let that sink in. God in human form. And these shepherds are the first, some of the first to lay eyes on him. And they could have kept that to themselves. Oh, God, thank you so much for what you've done in my life. Thank you for, for doing this work in me. I, I just feel so blessed. That was, a, that was a great thing to be a part of. Now let's go back to our sheep. But they didn't do that. It says they saw everything that had been told to them. They saw it to be true. And then they went out and they spread the news. They went out and they told the story of everything that had happened to them, of everything that God was doing. That the Messiah has born, been born right here in Bethlehem. They told their story of how God broke through in their life because their story was important. And I want you to know this morning that your story is important. Your experience is important. The story of God breaking through in your life, whatever that looks like. Whether, whether it, was, it was an instant God changed you. God saved you, God rescued you, you were instantly sober, whether it was a 30-year process of God drawing you to himself, your story is important. People need to hear it because it's important for you and what God is doing in your life, but it's also important for you and what people around you are experiencing, right? It's important for more than just you. These shepherds could have taken that story. They could have taken their experience and kept it to themselves, but they didn't. They go, they went, and they shared the gospel. They shared, not the gospel, they shared the good news of what was happening. I guess that's the gospel. They shared the good news of what was happening, of what God was doing, of their experience. Last week, we talked about a man with, with leprosy who came back and was thankful, right? And, and, and it, it occurred to me when I was, uh, when I was, reading and processing that story, that this man was healed, and his life was completely changed. Now he was, you know, physically restored. Now he was socially restored. Now he was uh, spiritually restored. But Jesus told him, said, go and show yourself to the priest. That man could have been, man, thank you, God, for what you did in my life. I have to go back to my family now. But it said, go and tell your story. Go back and tell your story. Let other people know what Jesus is doing in your life. Go tell them. Go be my witness. And it occurs to me that that is the very reason that shepherds are even involved in this story at all. God could have showed up. God could have sent an angel to every household in Bethlehem. That would have been just as easy. He's got enough of them, right? But he didn't. He chose to show up 
to these dirty, smelly shepherds and for them to go see this thing, for them to experience it for this thing, and then for them to go tell other people about this. That's the only reason I can think that God would even involve these guys, other than he loves them and he wants them to experience this and he wants to bless them, but he wants to bless other people through their experience as well. God involved these shepherds so that they could go tell. They got to be a part of what God was doing so that they could go tell other people the story of what God was doing. Your experience and your story is important for more than just you. God is working in your life because he loves you and because he wants to do incredible things in your life, but also so you can go and you can tell that story to other people about what God is doing in your life. Revelation 12, 11 it says that the, the devil was thrown down from heaven. And, and then it says this. It says that they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. That's first and foremost. That's got to happen. Otherwise, there's no triumph. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, but by the word of their testimony, by their story, by what they were willing to go and to share. Your story is powerful. Your story is important. In this war against the enemy, we can't be afraid of what it's going to cost. We can't be afraid to tell what God has done in your life because you don't know the impact that your story is going to have on other people around you. And when you tell your story, when you share what God has done in your life, it might mean absolutely nothing to some people. But for somebody, it might mean absolutely everything. You don't know their experience. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what can identify with what you have already gone through. You have no way of knowing the result of sharing your story. And what, did this, what was the story that the shepherd shared? They didn't, they didn't share the thing that, that, that they experienced. They didn't share how incredible it was that they got to be a part of that. They shared, what does the scripture say? It says, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. It was Jesus. They shared Jesus. The focus is on the child and what was said about him. The focus of the story is Jesus. The focus of your story is Jesus. In telling people what God has done in your life, the focus is more, uh, it should be about Jesus. If the focus of your story is more about how much you partied or how much you drank or how, much, or how many people you slept with or how rebellious you were or how good you were, if that is the focus of your story, that's not it. The focus of the story is Jesus. God does incredible things in your lives for you, for me, so that we can share that with other people. But the focus is Jesus. God doesn't get a cameo in our story. God is the story. The shepherds told the story of what they had been told about Jesus. The focus was Jesus. The point of the story is Jesus. The point of our story is Jesus. The point of the Christmas story is Jesus. It's all about Jesus and the work that he's going to do. And I'm telling you, this story is not as neat and tidy as we like to think about it. It's not as neat and tidy. There's dirt, there's grime, there's rough corners, rough edges. God set out to change the course of eternity, and it started with this baby. And the world started to find out what God was doing 
through these rough, smelly shepherds. That's how God works. God's qualifications are not what our qualifications would be. And he's saying, when you go out and you tell your story, don't be afraid to tell your story of what God... Nobody can argue with your story. Did you know that? You can share your experience. They can disagree with you all you want, but nobody can, 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 can speak to you against your story because it's your experience. And God's going to use that to reach out to other people. Why don't we stand on up to our feet? So how's God going to use your story? What's God going to use your story for? What is your story? We're going to go into a ministry time. We're going to go back into worship. As people want to pray with you. Whatever point of your story you're at, it's important. It's important that we do life together. It's important that we share with one another and that we pray for one another. And that's what we want to do in this next couple of songs. And God's got incredible things ahead of you. Don't miss out on it because you're afraid. Don't miss out on it because you think it's not going to matter. These shepherds could have said, you know what? Who's going to listen to us anyway? We're just shepherds. Yep, you're just shepherds. And if you do what God's asking you to do, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible. So you can move at any point during this next song. And uh, we want to pray with you.